Hey, Exchange family, this is Exchanging Stories. Nobody knew where I was for a few days, and that scared me, too, that I'd gotten to that place. I was running out of money, and more so just running out of motivation for life. I I didn't know what to do anymore. Exchange, today's story is going to be split into two episodes. Before we begin, I did want to share that today's subject does include some sensitive topics. So please, if you're listening with your children, be aware. On today's episode, we've got Miranda Bennett here with us. How are you, Miranda? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. And you guys have been at Exchange for how long now? Almost three years. Okay. Wild. And tell us a little bit about your family. Just give us a quick glance. If if no one knows you, um, how do they find you and who belongs to you? Yes. So I am married to Russ Bennett, who is my best friend. Good guy. Good, great guy. And I have four kiddos. I've got Bailey, who's 17, about to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Cohen, 15. And then Ellie Page, nine. And then Piper, seven. I don't know why I'm giving you all their ages, but. No, yeah, it's helpful. <laughs> lots of blonde hair. Lots of blonde hair and blue yeah. eyes. Yeah, yes, and right. lots of sunscreen. It's yes. fine. <laughs> yes, they're great. They're great. And we've enjoyed having you guys. Uh, Russ and Miranda help a lot with our hospitality mm-hmm. uh, team, uh, greeting people outside. Um, you've seen Bailey, uh, help with worship team, you know, some, uh, cones and students and all the things. And so, yeah, love having your family at exchange. We love exchange so much. It's been a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we want to get into your story and leave a lot of time, uh, for, for some at exchange who might know your story Mm -hmm. to hear a little bit more of like God's working in that. And for some, I think your story is going to connect with their story in a way that I, I hope um, the Lord uses to to maybe help us look at all of our stories a little bit different. Mm. You know, I think so many times, um, you know, we have like two different testimony stories in the church. We have like this um, like crazy, crazy story come to Jesus, which mm-hmm. some of your story is. Yes. Right? <laughs> and then we have like that. I never did anything, mm. you know, and. And it's like we, we glamorize one or the other. Yeah. And and I, I just think all of our stories uh, intersect at this place of desperate need for Jesus. Absolutely. They're all so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, share with us a little bit about maybe like life for you before mm-hmm. Jesus and his yeah. calling and, you know, just where were you at? And yeah. How did you come to find Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. My, so... <laughs> My little pre-Jesus story is my mom got pregnant young. She got pregnant at 19. I don't know my real father, so she had me at 20. We lived with my grandparents and my mom's youngest sister for almost five years. And honestly, like it was a dream childhood up to that point. I mean, tons of fun, family always coming and going, like never questioned um, care Mm -hmm. for me and love for me. Like I just felt super loved. And really quickly, my world kind of flipped upside down close to age five. And that's when my mom and who I call my dad, he's my stepdad, got married. And they had been longtime childhood friends. Uh, He had recently gotten a divorce and they just reconnected and then got married very quickly. 
And so I moved from my grandparents' house into his home and he was very controlling and um, quite verbally and emotionally abusive. And I remember, goodness, just maybe a year or so in, just telling my mom, like, I just want to be in an orphanage. It was just like immediate loneliness and really felt abandoned. And my mom was just trying to be a good wife, really and truly. Like that was her heart. Yeah. Um, and so I would always treasure my visits back to my grandparents, which they didn't live far. And I got to see them a whole bunch. And my grandmother was the soul winner. Like when you think of somebody who is just like passionate about Jesus and evangelism, she thousand percent had the gift of evangelism. Yeah. So every time I came over, she would have me read the Bible. I, we actually still went to church every Sunday. So okay. growing up, I did that. And then I did that with my stepdad and my mom. That solves all problems, right? All like problems. Yes. You just go to church and yes, yes you're fine. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I Not true. Not true. So I did hear the gospel over and over and over, but it was nothing that was like actually lived out in my home whenever... Jesus was mentioned, it was more of a shaming, like he sees you do this. He, you know, like it just was never, God was never like taught. Like a policeman in the sky. He's totally yeah. a policeman in the sky. Yeah. Like I would pray every night, like, please wake me up if you're coming back because I don't want to go to hell. I mean, it was just like, oh, wow. truly, yeah. it was like that. But I did get to see God's love through my grandmother and how she treated me. And then also my mom's younger sister, my aunt Robin, who I'm, you know, I'm really close with. So, um, yeah, still walking, you know, hearing gospel literally all my life, but never connecting the dots, just really afraid of Jesus. Um, and I, my mom and stepdad had two girls, so I have two little sisters and, always just felt like the black sheep of the family just really never felt like I fit and acted that way Hmm. you know just really didn't even try I just gave up just didn't even want to try to be a part yeah and so middle school days middle school's horrible who likes middle school I don't know anyone who does it's the worst unless you're in middle school And you're having a good time. Yes, maybe the first few days, you know. Um, So middle school is just awkward with all the things. So like survived middle school somehow. Things were not good at home. My mom and dad fought all the time, like yelling. It was just yelling all the time. And yeah, that was rough. And the middle or high school came around and I started to notice that guys had interest Mm -hmm. in me and our family also was very much look good. You are good. Yeah. You know, we, I grew up surface. I grew up in a big white house with a white picket fence with a literal collie, like the American picture of everything's fine. Some people might not get the collie reference, but Lassie, (laughs) you know, right? Like when we were growing up, Lassie was like the thing, right? It was, she was a collie. Yes. Oh wait, was it a girl? Yes. Okay. Actually it was a boy who played the dog. Yes. It was weird, but they named her a girl. Yeah. 
I think that's right. Somebody can fact yeah. check me, email yeah. me. Do Actually, it. just email Ed. Do, you know? Do yes. Ed for yes. sure. Yes. Ed at exchangeNC.org if you have oh questions about Lassie. He yeah. can answer yeah. all your questions. Yeah. So that was the Collie reference. Co- Sorry. White, white house, <laughs> white picket fence, Collie, yes. all the things, right? Yes. Like it looked like. Uh, the American dream, yeah. like literally. So, but absolutely not. And so come high school, I just found purpose in being accepted by my peers and also mm-hmm. by guys as well. Like it just became so important to me. And my sophomore year, I started dating a guy who was a year older than me. He was like football star, baseball star, just like the guy and you know you date a guy in high school and everything really is fine at that point no never at yeah. all yeah. um and everything felt like it was going fine and good and my mom and dad kind of just let me go cuz i wasn't being really argumentative or whatever i was happy i was dating right. a, this yeah. nice guy right um but along with that came a lot of parties drugs and alcohol and I had struggled my whole life with anxiety and honestly didn't even know how to call it that I mean like I would have panic attacks when I was in elementary school like really bad again I didn't know what to call that I just knew that they would give me medicine to help with that um so drinking numbed everything yeah drugs numbed everything and so I was never a kind of one drink and I'm done. It was like, just get me to the place where I don't have to think. Yeah. And again, I didn't know how to communicate that. I didn't really know that's what was going on. Um, But that's where I went. Yeah. And so that was kind of like my sophomore, junior year of school, just doing that. And then come senior year, I decided I wanted to just kind of do my own thing. I didn't want to be tied down by my boyfriend. He was off at a college playing baseball. And I was just like, eh, let me do me. And and so, yeah, just partying a lot, just running around and... Trying to find fulfillment in some Yeah, way. absolutely. Experiencing the pleasure of sin. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Doing what I thought was fun. Yeah. And then... Come, let's see, February of my senior year. No, excuse me, December my senior my senior year, and I realized that I had missed my cycle. Hmm. Um, and I went and took a pregnancy test with my best friend, and I was pregnant, and I was terrified, hmm. terrified. I mean, those things were not spoken about in my home. But with the way I grew up, I knew that shame was coming. I knew that I I honestly didn't know what was going to happen. And so I went and talked to my mom's oldest sister, my aunt, Teresa. She was well off. And so I was like, I'm going to go talk to her because she has money and I'm just going to go get an abortion. I mean, that was like that. I just thought that would fix it. Was that was that was it even Mm -hmm. a thought or that was like first thought? First thoughts. First thought. Yeah. And I spoke to her and she just wrapped me up in her arms. I mean, she was just so sweet and loving and kind and, um, and said, Rena, like, I do not 
believe in abortion. Like Hmm. we will take care of you. We will help find this baby a home. And even though I wasn't quite on board with that, I, I felt cared for and loved. Yeah. And so she told me that I needed to tell my mom, obviously within the next week or two. And I was terrified. Terrified. I just didn't even know what to say. And so they came over for dinner one night, my aunt and uncle and her two kids, they were teenagers, which never really happened outside of like holidays. So they, I'm sure my parents knew something was up. And so we went up to my room and I shared the news with my mom and with your aunt there as well. With my aunt. Yeah. And dead silence, like no words. And one thing I do know is that my mom had been in my position before. I did not know that until I told my aunt about my pregnancy. Mm. And so there was a little bit of hope that there would be some understanding. And it was not met with that. Um, My mom, I don't think had a lot of support growing up either. And so she had not really dealt with things that had happened in her life regarding pregnancy. And I can see that now. But I went and spent the night with my aunt that night to let my parents kind of like talk about things and get their heads wrapped around things. And, and so they said that I could stay with them until I started to show. And then I needed to go and stay with my aunt and uncle, you know, until I gave birth and gave the baby up for adoption. And that was because I have two younger sisters and immediately it was like, oh, you want me to hide. And I'm ashamed, you know, I'm ashamed of you. Like, you know, that's immediately, of course, what I thought. And so I really thought that was all the options that I had. No internet. You know, I didn't, I couldn't go up and look up abortion clinics or whatever. You're 16 or 17. I'm 16. Okay. No, 17. Yeah, I was 17. And so I had gone to the doctor. This is, this will be the second time with my mom. And the doctor who delivered me and my sister said, so I guess an abortion is out of, you know, is not an option for you. And I don't even know if he meant to say that or he knew what was going to happen after Mm -hmm. that. But as soon as he said that, I was like, I I don't think so. I don't know. And I feel like he told me like the weeks or whatever, like you had until like you could get an abortion. I don't know. But I literally that night made an appointment Hmm. at an abortion clinic for, I don't know if it was the next day or the next couple of days or two days after that. And that was just it. I wasn't gonna waver at all because I just, I, I had a little bit of support for my aunt and uncle, but I felt like I had no support from those in my own home, Mm -hmm. the ones that I really wanted. And so on February 13th, 1998 is the day that I went and had an abortion and was literally the worst day of my life. Goodness. It didn't fix anything. Mm -hmm. And my heart hurts so much for where our country is right now. And these pro-abortion people, you know, they think that it's fixing a problem and it creates a million more. Yeah. I, I, th- I think to say I'm sorry is, is an understatement. You know, I, I wish we could go back in time and, yeah. and say to someone, hey, would you just 
provide some hope or provide some some care in a way that says like, hey, you're not going to have to do this by yourself. Yeah. We're not going to hide you or yes. whatever, you know, and, and we can all look back. We all look back yeah. at our lives and, you know, 20 years ago and, yeah. and we see like lots of words that we wish we had have had or yeah. words that we wish we didn't have, right. you know. But, you know, as a, you know, my heart breaks for that 17 year old girl who yeah. thinks that this is the only way out. You know, and one of the things that I, I really believe, it's like no, no one wakes up mm. one morning and says, like, I can't wait to do this. No. <laughs> you know, I, I think when I think of an abortion, I you know, and, and you see like we see the protesters, we see mm-hmm. the, the people who are really, you know, have I feel like the, the enemy has an, a hold on them. Um, I just feel like, you know, most abortions are done in a way that it's like the animal who, who chews their own leg off in a trap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like no one just wakes up with joy that Mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen today. It's a, this is my only option. Right. And so I, I'm, you know, I wish, you know, my heart breaks for that 17 year old Miranda that, that felt like. This was my only choice. Yeah. It really, like you said, looking back, I can see where, obviously, I did have other options. I did have another option, but it absolutely felt like this was the only option that I had. Yeah. And what I want people to know, again, these people that are pro-choice, is that there is in no way just a clump of cells. There's another soul yeah. residing within you. And when that soul is gone, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel that right. You, like there's, there's almost, I would suspect, uh, and we'll get back to that, that dark day yeah. in, in February. But, um, I would suspect that there was a moment of realization much, yeah. you know, in a more full realization yeah. where it's like, now this choice that you made in February of 1998, yeah, um, you know, years later, you experience all over again in a in mm. an in like entirely different, more dramatic way when you realize. Yes. Goodness. Yes. Um, Honestly, that happens. I mean, it's happened in different ways and at different times, but you know, just even like a few months ago, just weeping. Mm you know, over that lost life. Yeah. Thankfully, I do believe that I'll get to see that child in heaven. I believe that. Yeah. So I think, you know, even to pause here for a second in the sense of, you know, we, we haven't even got to really, you're finding Jesus Yeah. yet. We yes. will. Um, but after finding Jesus and after walking with, yeah, Jesus for how many years now? Um, it was 1999. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, 23. (laughs) So 23 years later, Yeah. 23 years later of experiencing grace, you still have a moment where you weep every time mourn. Yeah. Every time I tell my story. Yeah. 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 And even you said like a couple months ago, just like, just sitting in that. Yes. Yeah. Is that, is that, um, if I can ask over, yeah. like, is, are there those tears of, of, um, overwhelmed 
with Jesus and mercy or and um, shame. And. Yeah. Yeah. 23 years later, the enemy still fights. Oh, yeah, for sure. There is no question, you know, I went through a an abortion um, kind of recovery class with a wonderful woman in South Carolina when I was living there. Um, and it was so healing. I mean, you face your sin head on, you know, yeah. like it is a confession. I did wrong. I took a life yeah. and repenting of that, but also seeing God's grace and mercy over my life. And, um, and so it's, it's both. It's just sad. Like yeah. it will always be sad. Yeah. But there's so much grace there too. So much grace. Yeah. So much grace and mercy. I mean, that I can, can that I can look at my children and not think about that all the time, yeah. you know? Yes. Like, that's not something that goes through my mind. Yes. Even every month, I wouldn't even say, but it just, you know. This, like, the enemy knows when to bring it up. Oh, goodness. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he knows when to flash that card in front of your face. A thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. So, so that day. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go in by yourself? Did somebody go with you? I went with um, my best friend who she did not want to take me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I basically like begged her to and she had to stay outside of the building. There were lots of protesters. There was even a bomb threat that day. This was in Atlanta. It was crazy. And I literally, you know, when you go to like a sandwich shop or sometimes you go and get a ticket like with your number on it, mm-hmm. that was what I did. Goodness. Yeah. And just waited and was moved from room to room. And I do remember like they did do an ultrasound, but I plugged my ears and covered my eyes. Cause I just couldn't bear to do, to see what I knew what I was about to do. Right. And of course, terrified that I was going to die <laughs> on yeah. the table. Um, but I do remember going on the table and I remember the man and he was, he was kind. Um, and then, you know, waking up afterwards and feeling zero relief. Hmm. I mean, honestly, like there was a tiny, tiny bit, but more like so much emotion, so much, it was just really strange. And the next day it was a Valentine's day. I mean, it was just, it was just terrible. All of it was just terrible. And and also going back home and, you know, my mother being like, you know, you got to go to school on Monday. <laughs> you know, so she knew about it at that point? She helped me get money out of the bank for it. Wow. Yeah. So she knew. Like my, my, I paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. What, if, if I can ask, what was it like to walk past the protesters in that moment? You know, like, I think that's, that's something that the uh, church has struggled with. Um, from time to time, uh, on a, on a few things of like, how do we, how do we interact? Mm-hmm. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, I would, I, you know, I don't know that that's helpful. You know, I don't know that it's not, uh, I've never been in that position where I'm walking past them. Yeah. Um, and so maybe speak into that for yeah. a second. What was that like? Terrifying. Yeah. It was terrifying. It was scary. I mean, they were screaming and that was shaming. Yeah. Even more so, I know their heart behind it. And I think gentle, kind words 
might have been helpful. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like once a woman gets there, yeah. they're going in. And I think what might be really loving and helpful is for someone to be on the other side, out the door. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. here's a snack, here's a Bible, here's, yeah. any, you know, like, yeah. abortion recovery, whatever. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. we're here for you when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's good. You know, and some people just like we're struggle to to like figure out like what can we do? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and we don't do the right things when we ask those questions and and I think, you know, there's obviously miracle stories of someone yes. being stopped and you know, those are great. But yeah. I, I wonder, um, you know, what are we doing on the on the other side of that, you know? Yes. So uh your your mom uh says, All right, school time. School time. Uh, now it's Monday mm-hmm. and you just try to block it out mm-hmm. and pretend again. I, I do. I do. And you know, at this time I was talking to my ex-boyfriend again, the one that I dated all throughout high school and he had come home for college, dropped out after Christmas time. And I had lied to him. I said that I had like a cyst on my ovary and had to have that removed was basically like, yeah. you know, my way of explaining whatever. And to other uh, other of my friends as yeah. well. I had two friends that knew mm. what had happened. And I would say that I wouldn't have known to say it, but I just went into like this really deep depression mm. of just sadness, like just not understanding the world at all mm-hmm. and running hard after anything that would distract me, anything at all. And that was most of my senior year. My relationship with my ex-boyfriend became really volatile. Um, I was, I can't remember if I was out of town or if I was at a friend's house for the weekend or whatever, but the one of my girlfriends who did know what had happened was at an event with my ex-boyfriend who I was talking to and told him what I had done. Mm. And the whole school found out from this event hmm. and so shame wow piles on to shame it was my worst nightmare yeah I, I couldn't get out of that school quick enough I couldn't graduate quick enough and so that was probably like around spring break yeah and then I was just I, I wanted to run hard and I graduated yeah from high school and still talking to this guy, you know, from high school because he's like the one person who just kind of kept coming back and yeah. still kind of quote unquote accepted me, but not really. Yeah. And things got really bad between us and he became abusive. I had to have him arrested one time, Goodness. punched my car, my win- my window in on my car while I was in it. Um, so yeah, that was scary. And let's see, 19, let's see, it was 1998 still, I guess. Yes, it was 1998, like December 1998. And I was not okay. I was working at a fitness club as a receptionist. And I moved into an apartment with 
one of the people that worked there, this woman, she was so kind. She was so sweet. She had no idea what she was getting into with me. <laughs> like coming yeah. in as a roommate with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was hardly there anyways and just got mixed up with some people from the fitness club who were, you know, drinking drugs, cocaine. I don't know why in the world I ever did cocaine. Like it just makes you really anxious and yeah. I'm already an anxious yes. person. Yes, not, not the best It wasn't. I feel like God was kind of gracious with that, you know, like this was dumb. Um, to, you know, not go down other paths with like other things. And, and so I, it was February, almost a year later of my abortion, February, 1999, when I just went to my parents and I'm like, I need help. I'm a mess. I'm done. This is what I'm doing. I just laid it all out on the table. And what, what, what prompted that? Was there a, was there a. Yeah. Like a rock bottom even further? There was. There was. There was a rock bottom. Um, I had gone on a binge Hmm. for several days with people I didn't know. um, Like was gone. Like nobody knew where I was Mm -hmm. for a few days. And that scared me too that I had gotten to that place. I was running out of money and more so just running out of motivation for life. I was just, I, I didn't know what to do anymore. In a sense, maybe like the prodigal finds the pig pen. Yeah. But, yeah. But still maybe not knowing that going back home is like the best place either, right? Right. Right. I wanted help, but I didn't really know how to get it. Yeah. yeah. And so my parents took me to a rehab center and you know, met friends there. We ended up in a halfway house in Atlanta, which I think halfway houses work for people who are wanting to get better. I still was not ready to get better and was kicked out of the halfway house because I used again and went out for a night and it was awful. And so I was put into a different rehab. So we'll say like rehab number three. And that was still like this program where I went to like classes or whatever during the day and I was able to do whatever I wanted from five to 10 in Atlanta, which is so dumb. And I was missing for a whole night and first time and only time I'd ever done heroin. Hmm. Um, I was the only one I I drove. (laughs) I I have no, I wasn't my car. I don't know how I got from point A to point B. I do remember after that night, it was me, one guy, and a girl. Her name was Catherine. And she was like, just take me back to the rehab. So we went and dropped her off. And then he dropped me off on the hill above the rehab, like in the parking lot on a hill. And I was like laying on this coat in the parking lot. And he was like, I'll come back and get you in a little bit. And I was like, okay, like asleep. And I remember... I had a dream. I can see it in my mind right now. I had a dream of Jesus' face and the crown of thorns. Mm. Like, (laughs) wild. And I remember somebody waking me up immediately. And it was somebody from the rehab saying they thought somebody was dead up here. And so, bring me back down to the same rehab, but to a different place where I could not get out. (laughs) And detox really happened at that point. I was in there for a month and 
was not. I was just asking for whatever medicine they'd give me. Are you depressed? Yes, I'm depressed. Like, just give me whatever you want to give me, basically. And I was in there for a month. And my mom had sent a card via either my aunt or my stepdad. And it was the gospel written out. And I read every word of it. Goodness. And I closed the card and I tried to pray but it felt like it was just literally hitting the ceiling like it literally felt like my words were so heavy yeah um but as you can hear god was like working in my life he was working he was doing something he was chasing you down chasing me 